We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast is sponsored by Liquid Death. Are you thirsty? Parched? Do you like dark and eerie sinister names for your beverages? Then you'll love Liquid Death. Go to liquiddeath.com, use the promo code BIGBLUE for a refreshing beverage ahead of Halloween season. Blue Wire. What's going on, Big Blue Banter listeners? Dan Schneier cannot join us today, but I am joined by someone who covers the Green Bay Packers. The game, the New York Giants are playing across the pond in London. Another 3 and one team. I am joined by the great Dusty Evely. Dusty, how you doing, my man? Nick, I'm doing great, man. Listen, we just watched some pristine football on Thursday night, you know, living it up. Um, I'm doing great, man. How are you? I'm doing well, but Dusty, before the podcast, you told me that you love ugly football and that you absolutely adored the game that we just unfortunately witnessed. (laughs) What is up with that? I don't know, man. Like the, like the boring games, like the, like just like the mediocre games. Like I, I, I do not care about those, but the truly terrible ones I'm thinking like, I think it was 2012. It's like Mark Sanchez versus Ryan Lindley is a seven to six win. I think the jets won that game. Just awful. Just ball sailing. There's something, there's something very comforting to me about the fact that these guys who make like millions and millions of dollars can just be truly awful. And there's something like, at a certain point, you hit a game. It, there's something darkly comedic about it, which I which I always appreciate. So yeah, it was a fun it was a fun game, and it, it kind of held true to just just absolute insanity the entire way through. Which I enjoy that. I like I don't want it every week, but I enjoy the really truly terrible grimy games every now and then. You should have covered the New York Giants over the last half decade. I think <laughs> you would have had a pretty good job. Should have. I'm looking at the wrong team, man. What am I doing here? I don't know. I don't know. But let's get into those Green Bay Packers. And I wanted to ask you something just because we're talking about sloppy, disgusting, ugly football. (laughs) Sure, sure. What is up with the Green Bay Packers and just looking like they don't know what's going on in week one, at least over the last two seasons? We remember in 2021, (laughs) they got blown out by the Saints. And then they Mm -hmm. play in Minnesota. That's a tough place to play. Those two Mm -hmm. teams are quite familiar with each other, but they think they only scored a touchdown. So it looked pretty ugly. What can you attribute that to? I don't know, man. You know, there's been you know, the previous the previous offseason was um, a whole bunch of Rogers drama. You know, they didn't know if he was going to come back and there's all that stuff. Um, and he clearly has not been working out as much as he had been. I don't know that Rogers is necessarily the problem uh, this year. I mean, last year was like he was gone a bunch and it was that fourth. It was kind of the week one was the fourth preseason game for them it was kind of how it felt because they don't play any of their guys in preseason, which I'm, I'm kind of fine with. Like, I don't think that's the issue um, this year. 
I think, and we've seen it a little bit. I mean, they lost that week one game, and then they've not really looked great since then. Like, they're, they're stacking up wins. But with all those rookie receivers and some of the the, the flux, uh, the, the offensive line, they're just not the cohesive unit that they had been up until this point. And the defense was supposed to take a big step forward, and they're looking better. I think they're figuring it out. But they've got rookies on that side, too, that that, that they kind of are getting thrown to the fire. But I, offensively, I mean, they've so much been banked on Devontae Adams uh, over the past, you know, I don't know, five years that he really has been like the dude in Green Bay that just trying to figure it out, not only just figure it out, but figure out with rookies, like they just, it got off to a rough start. Rogers was missing some reads in that first game and it just, it kind of snowballed on him a little bit. Um, and like I said, like they, I think if they played again tomorrow, I think Green Bay wins that game, but they just, I don't know, man. They're just, I, I, yeah, I don't want it to be a trend. There's, there's, there's circumstances, kind of extenuating circumstances, both last year and this year. I think if it happens again next year, I think it starts to be concerning. It's just it, right now I'm chalking up to a weird oddity and hoping it's nothing more. You touched on Devonte Adams and he was the talk of not really just the green Bay Packers off season, but one of the big discussion points of the NFL's off season mm-hmm. and just this wild situation where so many star receivers are leaving their, their respective teams and, and landing huge contracts in other spots. And Devonte is having, I guess, not as much success as he has had in Green Bay, but we have seen the Packers struggle to adjust with the likes of Alan Lazard, Romeo Dobbs, Christian Watson, who missed the game. But mm-hmm. I just wanted to ask you, how has that transition been so far without Devontae Adams? Has the offense changed substantially? I, I understand like losing a piece like that, it's obviously going to change, but have you seen really a big scheme shift since Devontae Adams left? I don't know about scheme shift because it's still more or less the same. It's it seems like they're poking and prodding a little bit more in the in the early season than they were all last year. Like there's there's certain core concepts that they would run that they've run another floor era like once twice a game in terms of like passing concepts that they I think they've gone to like once or twice so far this year through four games. Um, the RPO game they're expanding the RPO game a little bit. The run game which I was kind of calling for last year um, they're diversifying that so you're getting a little more power run. So they're kind of and then with with off of that, then that RPO game that was so much. You think of like RPOs in Green Bay. I think of that bubble action to Devonte and Rogers would throw that. They typically throw that to numbers. Like if you've got three offensive guys over there and you got two defensive guys, we throw that because we outnumber you guys. To Devonte, sometimes it'd be three on three. Like, well, Devonte's going to make a guy miss. And so you had some of those, some of those smoke RPOs. They're doing some of those more a little more deliberately now than they had been before. They're pushing a little more vertically. And again, some of like like the overall scheme. It's because I don't know if there's a shift. They have gotten away from the wide zone run stuff uh, somewhat, which is kind of was the core of that system. Um, so so a little bit there, but that's less Devontae and more kind of how the offense always needed to evolve. So, I mean, overall, again, I think the shift somewhat, not because of Devontae, but they are, they do feel like these first four games, it's almost felt experimental offensively in a way. Like there's certain games like, okay, we're going to try this out. We're going to try this now. So I think we're starting to see, especially last week and probably this week as well, kind of a return to some of the stuff they had been doing. Some of those kind of core concepts. Um, the Giants play a lot of single high. So I imagine we'll see a lot of that. Um, a lot of some of the, the single high attackers that we had seen Devontae in. It's just been, it's been it's been interesting. It's been different because it is just it, it looks a little different while not feeling entirely different, if that makes sense. I guess it's not again, not a big shift, just they're poking and prodding. They're seeing what works, trying to figure this stuff out, both both with the rookies and, and kind of what they can do. So it's been it's been interesting, if not uh, overly smooth, I guess. 
I feel like it's an evolution right now. Yeah. You're right. I mean, it's not changing the scheme, but it's also just trying to figure out how these new pieces fit. And you're right, because I remember those three-by-one sets. You align Devontae mm-hmm. Adams, three receivers to the field side, line them as the number three, just bubble them, mm-hmm. just smoke screen them all the time. Yep. And I think from the little bit of film that I've seen from Green Bay, I've seen whenever defenses are in off leverage, off coverage, they're still not shy to throw those quick bubbles, whether it be right. to Romeo Dobbs or they're really trying to get the ball into Christian Watson's hands. It seems like mm-hmm. any way they can, they scored on an end around touchdown and they also used him in jet motion twice before that as well, just to kind of show like, hey, he's in motion. Okay, he's not doing anything <laughs> just to kind of get the defense defense's mind in that, in that area where it's they're used to seeing him coming in motion. But I would not be shocked to see those little quick hitters, those little adjustments and those little alerts at the line of scrimmage from Aaron Rodgers to even these young receivers, whenever the Giants do decide to align it off leverage, which they tend to do whenever they're on their side of the field on defense. If they're inside their own 40, they like to play top down off coverage there. But I'm also interested to see how Wink Martindale calls this because yes, Wink Martindale loves to bring the pressure. Mm -hmm. But I think one thing Wink Martindale doesn't get credit for is his ability to adjust. And last year, when the Ravens and the Packers played each other, that was when Huntley went for two at the mm-hmm. end, and he did not get it. And the Packers ended up winning, I think, thirty-one to thirty. Yeah. If my memory, if my memory is correct, Don Martindale called the, I think, second least amount of cover three that he did in any of the season, and his blitz rate was down significantly. Mm-hmm. So I can see him being a little bit more conservative and maybe dropping a little bit more guys in coverage while still scheming up some simulated pressure to try to manipulate Aaron Rodgers. But if you look at some of the pressures that the Giants have run so far this season that he's that Wink Martindale has called against Baker Mayfield, that Wink Martindale has called against Cooper Rush, I'm skeptical to think that he's going to go to that well on third and four against Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, and actually, I was I was kind of curious about that. I was going to ask you about some some of the uh, some of those adjustments because I mean, while I was looking at it's uh, for the most part. I mean, you're right; he he would make adjustments for the most part. Wink's going to wink like that's he is yeah. he's 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 that man in his blood. He wants to play single high. He wants to blitz. I was looking at some of the pressure numbers. Like it seems like they're not really hitting home. Is that like I don't know if that's a personnel thing. Or or what on the on the Giants defensive side of the ball, but it seems like they are bringing the pressure, but they're still like average time to throw. I know in in those games is still fairly high. I know I looked last week, um, which is which was the the Bears game. Justin Fields was uh, pressured on. It was like fifty two point eight percent of his passes, but his average time to throw was like four and a half seconds. Like well, anyone's going to be pressured that much. So is that like is the are the blitzes are they having? I don't know if that's a personnel thing. Are they having a tough time hitting home? Can they generate? with four or five guys up front? Because from what I've seen, it seems like they struggle that, but I've not watched them super closely. Weeks one and two, they didn't have Aziz Ojolari and Kayvon Thibodeau. They're two mm-hmm. star pass rushers. And then weeks three and four, they didn't have Leonard Williams. Well, they lost Leonard Williams in week three. It looks like Williams might play in London. It's still up in the air. Aziz Ojolari is looking doubtful. He didn't practice on Thursday. So that's not good. I think they can get home with four against certain offensive lines, but I wouldn't say they're the most explosive pass rushers. The one that has surprised most people is Dexter Lawrence. Yeah. And I'll say this, and I've been a big Dexter Lawrence believer, but I, I like to call spade a spade. He was lined up against somebody that Packers fans might know, Sam Mustafer, who is not an NFL starting center. And he absolutely dominated that matchup. He had eight pressures at a 350 pounds from the interior. And it was one big reason why Justin Fields was running around with his head cut off. But the thing I like about Wink is he will show different blitzes 
against different opponents. Like the blitz that he chose to use against the Chicago Bears was basically a simple cross dog blitz with quarterback contain and a quarterback spy. What Wink loves to do is he'll align with four guys on the line of scrimmage sometimes. He'll bring a blitz from one side, and then he'll drop the end man on the line of scrimmage from the weak side of the formation, or sometimes a strong side of the formation. If it's a three-receiver set, you want to sink underneath the number three or the number two if it's going to be a slant, possibly get a quick interception, mm-hmm. something like that, especially if the quarterback doesn't read hot, but we all know Aaron Rodgers is going to read hot and throw yeah. to the side. But against Justin Fields, who struggles with things like that, he would flush him out of the pocket towards Dexter Lawrence and Aziz Ojolari, who dropped off the line of scrimmage. And they ran that blitz, that cross dog blitz, three times. They sacked Justin Fields twice, and they forced a punt on a third and three where Tay Crowder was right in his face and hit him. And I'm curious, too, because all the quarterbacks the Giants have seen so far, they haven't been anywhere close to Aaron Rodgers. I like Ryan Tannehill, but we all know the game plan, if you're the Tennessee Titans, is to run the football. And the Giants sold out to stop the run, and they did an excellent job in Tennessee in week one. But Tannehill was also working with two wide receivers who were rookies. So, and he got Cooper Rush. He picked apart some of those blitzes. Baker Mayfield was two of three in the in the crazy safety rotation apex blitz that Wink Martindale decided to bring. But then he brought it in the fourth quarter when it really mattered, and Baker Mayfield didn't see. End up taking a really bad hit on that play. And then they also, I, I also feel like the Giants do a really good job manipulating the protection of the opposing offensive line. So I kind of wanted to to get your opinion on how the offensive line has been from a protection standpoint, because I've seen Aaron Rodgers try to extemporize and improvise and and step up in the pocket and then kind of get sacked when there's only mm-hmm. four rushers. And I'm wondering if that's just Aaron Rodgers maybe getting a little bit too cute trying to make a play, or is it or is there an issue with the offensive line? Because I think that also ties into what Wink Martindale may do on Sunday. Yeah, I mean, it's a little bit of both. I mean, I think if there's protection issues, it's certainly on on the right side that they've had issues there. I mean, the left side has been has been weird. Um, John Runyon Jr. is over there, and he's been he's been good. I like John Runyon Jr. Uh, Myers at center has been, I'd say, mostly fine. He's had some issues. He was injured. He was a rookie last year and missed what eight games, like with a knee injury. And so when he looks good, he looks real good. But sometimes he'll he'll kind of just miss a block, whiff on something, miss a read. But for the most part, he seems solid. Um, the left tackle was, uh, you know, Bakhtiari had been out, what, two years. When they brought him back, they had him in a timeshare with Yash Nyman, who played the position last year and did, did fairly well. Um, I think Bakhtiari is pretty much all the way back now. I think Nyman played one or two series. So they were kind of doing a series on, series off. Uh, and they seemed to do fairly well. But that right side, they brought Elton Jenkins, who was, you know, should have been all pro guard. He played left tackle. He played center. Kind of kind of a guy who was all across the line. He injured his, his knee towards ACL against the Cardinals last year. So he came back this year and has been a right tackle, and he's been real bad at right tackle. And then a right guard is Royce Newman, who is he was a rookie last year. He's better now than he was last year. But last year, basically, if you sent a stunt across his face, you twisted anything across his face, he wouldn't pick it up. So you'd have these weird protection issues. Like, you just run a simple two-man stunt, and he could not pick it up. And he got better. I think he's been a little better. But you've certainly had some both with stunts and just kind of confusion, picking up men more on the right side than the left side. You'll see there was, um, there was a really weird play this past week and it happened a couple of times. There was a play fake went basically Rogers play fake left. Aaron Jones went right. So it was, it was weird from the jump. The line slid left where Bakhtiari didn't have to block anyone. And then you had, you had both Newman and Jenkins blocking one man while a free rusher came in Rogers face. Um, phrasing blew up Aaron Jones, who had released to the right, 
blocked him, but then like nothing was open because you had no flat control on the left. So kind of this, it was a weird sloppy thing regardless, but they have had some protection issues like that, that we've not seen in the past. And especially again, that right guard, right tackle combo. And the whole question with Jenkins is, is he, is he not all the way back from his ACL? Or we'd not really seen him play right tackle. He played in college, but not in the pro so far. He'd been very good at left tackle. He was good at the guard spots. Is right tackle, that's just the, something, the kick set? Is there something over there he just is not really used to at this point and not ready to play and is not looking good over there? So, you know, that could be maybe it clicks for him this game and he's fine at right tackle, but he's a guy you thought like plug and play, no problem at right tackle. He's been one of the worst offensive linemen so far in terms of some of their protections. Oh, no, run blocking, just an absolute monster. But pass protection, that right side, that's the thing. With 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 Wink, he could not bring anything. If he has six guys on the line and has some pressure in the A-gap, that could cause problems just by the fact of it existing and that they've had some communication problems over there. And that's what I think they're going to attempt to do. And I'm actually fascinated because you can align six, seven, eight guys up on the line of scrimmage when you're going up against Baker Mayfield, when you're going up against Justin Fields. But do you want to trust that against Aaron Rodgers when your number two cornerback was just placed on IR, Aaron Robinson, and you have Fabian Moreau, who had a great game last week against Chicago. But I expect Aaron Rodgers to probably pick on him a little bit more than maybe a Dory Jackson. But I think also Aaron Rodgers is going to throw to who's open and, and what yeah. the coverage dictates is what I would imagine. But in terms of a pressure package, I can see Wink aligning, you know, six, seven guys up near the line of scrimmage. If you guys are in 12 personnel or if it's more condensed type of formation and then bring blitzes, especially if you guys are in condensed, everything between the numbers, you bring yeah. the cornerback from one of the number two receivers, drop the end man on the line of scrimmage off to the other side. Hope Rogers doesn't throw hot. And I'm also sure that the giants will attempt to bait Rogers to throw hot on some certain situation. Mm -hmm. You don't want to get too cute with this. And then hopefully the giants can come away with an interception, something they haven't done yet this season. And they're the only team in the NFL who lacks an interception through four games. And I wouldn't say like, obviously the giants defense, or I mean the giants defense has not seen the best opponents so far. I think we can be fair and say that, but regardless of that fact, I feel like a lot of giant fans and myself, we, we, we view wink Martindale in high esteem. I feel like he adjusts well. I like his pressure packages. I felt like he was out-schemed against Kellen Moore. The way Kellen Moore attacked laterally with his rushing attack really, I feel like, just exploited the New York Giants. And the way they did it, which is just a lot of pin-pull concepts, a line of tight. The Packers are running a ton of this year. (laughs) I know, I know. And I felt like the Giants did a much better job against Chicago, shutting down Khalil Herbert and what the Chicago Bears wanted to do. They were much more cognizant of the fact that they were going to get attacked laterally because you lost Leonard Williams and he's more of an interior guy. But still, when you run laterally, those guys up front, you know, they maintain their discipline and they move those Mm -hmm. blockers and they elongate the rushing path of that running back. But what Kellen Moore did was he used basically a tight end. I would imagine would be big Bob Tanyan, who we'll talk about here in a little bit and a wide receiver tight, reduced close to the formation. And they would just block down on the end man on the line of scrimmage. It was like, Typically, Aziz Ojolari and Kayvon Thibodeau in their first games, and then go and pick up that Sam linebacker. And then it would always isolate the play side tackle against a Dory Jackson, the play side tackle against Julian Love. And it was just a recipe for disaster. And Tony Pollard ripped a couple long runs off because of that. Ezekiel Elliott had a nice weak side run based on that because the Giants overaccounted for it. So that would be one way that I feel like Green Bay, who seems to be a little bit more run heavy than I think a lot of people mm-hmm. would imagine a team with Aaron Rodgers as their quarterback would be. I feel like that's one way that Green Bay should attempt to attack this defense, especially if there is no Leonard Williams. 
Yeah, for sure. And I think, I mean, the, the whole kind of going back to the front thing for a second, the, the, but, and that it be, and how it affects the passing game and kind of how they want to do that. And also the rushing game is, uh, I mean, you align that front with six, seven guys, you kind of burn a guy that leaks out in the flat a little bit because you're staying back. The Packers like the, I think like over 70% of their snaps are in shotgun. And they got that sniffer guy up front, the halfway point between uh, shotgun quarterback and the, on the line. Sometimes that'll be Aaron Jones. Sometimes that'll be Josiah DeGuara, the two guys are using for that. If that's Aaron Jones and you're blocking him from kind of getting out in basically in in those in that five man four man route tree, whatever they're running there, that could be a way to do it because Aaron Jones has been focal point when when they can get the ball in his hands, he's been dynamic. And the same thing with the running game; they're running Packers running a whole bunch of the, the pony stuff with Dylan and Jones. They're running it. 13, 15% of the time at this point. And it's not been good for them. And they're trying to get that with the running game and you're marrying that with the pin pull stuff, but Dylan's not a true lead blocker and teams aren't really respecting when they split out wide. And so that, that has not been working for them. So I'm curious if they carry that forward against the giants, but some of the power stuff, like I said, the offensive line has problems. The run blocking has not been an issue so far this year. And they've got, uh, you know, Tanyan, bless his heart, man. He tries hard. Like he's not an amazing blocker, but he certainly gets in the way and they've got, um, Mercedes Lewis, I don't think the Packers have used a sixth offensive lineman in three years since Lewis has been there because he's basically they use him as a sixth offensive lineman. So if if Giants have holes in the running game and the Packers, like I said, they're they're doing they've gotten away from the wide zone a little bit and are more pin pull, um, a lot more of that power stuff, some of the, the wineback stuff out of jet. Uh, I mean, the, if those if those gaps are there, the Packers, I think, have shown because I don't know that they fully trust those wide receivers yet. They like those guys. I think Dobbs has been good. Watson's good with the ball in his hands, but if they can get that run going, if there's ways to exploit that that Giants defense, I think they'll take that as much and just say, let's get out of London with a win. However, we can. We don't care if it's sloppy. And that makes a lot of sense too. And the one thing I will say though about the the rushing attack against the Giants defense, I feel like generally speaking, the Giants run defense has been pretty solid. But there are weak points within the run defense, like that one long third down conversion against. The Dallas Cowboys was a weak side run where they had Austin Calitro out as the weak side backer. And he had to make a choice against Jason Peters to try to undercut Jason Peters or work over the top of him. And he undercut right where Dexter Lawrence was already winning his matchup, basically putting two giants in one gap. And that left a gap wide open, sprung a, like a 27 yard run, which I believe is the longest run of Ezekiel Elliott's career since 2020 or, or something Gracious. like that. Yeah, it is kind of crazy. So but what happened was the Giants ended up going out and getting Jalen Smith, and Jalen Smith played a lot more snaps. Austin Calitro didn't even dress last week, and I feel like that helps solidify, but it's kind of hard to tell because you are going up against a, a team like the Chicago Bears who don't necessarily have the quarterback that you would need to respect like you're going to respect Aaron Rodgers. So I think the Giants run defense, I think you can run the football you know, maybe 10 times, and it's not going to look pretty. But mm -hmm. all you need is one mistake to happen, and the Giants defense has been prone to making a few mistakes here or there that can spring these long runs like we saw with Elliott, like we saw mm -hmm. with Pollard in that game a couple times. And that's kind of my assessment of, of the Giants defensive front. I will say this, running in the A-gap, I don't know if that's something you guys do too often. It, it, it's been very difficult for teams because Dexter Lawrence is having a career year right now. And I'm wondering if Josh Myers or how Josh Myers, who I don't know too much about other than the little bit I studied of him when he was in Ohio state, mm -hmm. how he can hold up against an explosive, flexible, very athletic 350 pound guy. Who's really coming into his own in this wink Martindale defense. I mean, he's, and like I said, we didn't see a ton of him last year. I think he's shown enough flashes. Um, I, <laughs> 
it's one of those things. It's tough. It's tough to say from what he's done this year, how much of it is competition versus not, but it seems like he'll have a snap where he looks like the best center on earth. And then another snap where it looks like he's never played the game before. Like his issue, I think just seems to be with consistency. I, I mean, that with, with Lawrence up front, I think he's going to win some, I think there's going to be some, that uh, that Myers is going to look dominant on, and there's other ones that Lawrence is going to look dominant on. I think, and and I think that's they, the Packers don't run a, a ton up the middle, not a lot in the A gap. They've been kind of stretching that out a little bit more against some of that pin pull stuff, kind of targeting a little wider um, than, than some of the inside zone stuff that they have been doing. And most of their inside stuff is they're not running a whole lot of wham trap. I don't know. If I've seen a whole bunch of that. It's pretty much inside zone yeah. if they're running inside. So at that point, it's just Ken Myers win, and he's shown again. Snap to snap, who knows, man? Like it's anyone's guess at this point. <laughs> yeah, well, like we've said a couple of times, running laterally and trying to exploit the Giants linebackers is probably the best way to run on the New York Giants right now. And Tay Crowder, he's playing the most snaps at linebacker, former Mr. Irrelevant from the 2020 draft, had one of his best games of his career against Chicago. But he is known to have a lot of mistakes. And he's also a player that I feel like opposing offensive coordinators circle and try to isolate in the passing game. We saw it all last year, week two, Thursday night football, the world watching. He gets isolated against JD McKissick for a long play. It was just one of those things where, like, oh crap, the second year linebacker doesn't look that great in coverage. And it hasn't been pretty since then. If you go back to week one, Dontrell Hilliard, who would have had him in their DraftKings lineup, had two touchdowns and another long catch because Todd Downing, their offensive coordinator, looked at Tay Crowder and was like, "That we can exploit that. So There's they did. <laughs> so the Giants, ever since then, have been looking for linebackers to pair with Tay Crowder to, to at least try to assist him if he does make a mistake. And Jalen Smith, I feel like he can be a guy. We'll, we'll have to wait and see. He was here last year with different regime, different coaching mm-hmm. staff under Patrick Graham, and, and I felt like he had a little pep in his step. But how much, and I'm imagining it's probably a lot just knowing Aaron Jones, how much does LaFleur and Aaron Rodgers try to isolate players like Aaron Jones against linebackers when they are when the opposing defense is deficient at that position? I mean, that's like I said, that's something that hasn't taken off a ton this year. But I mean, that's the name of the game with the pony package stuff. When they get Jones and Dylan on the field at the same time. And I mean, that's that's the whole thing is you, you use motion, you split Jones out wide, you split Dylan out wide, you bring him in, you you either run into a light box, or you isolate a linebacker. So I mean they're 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 hunting for those uh those mismatches. They've not found a ton of them with that package this year, but that is something I think both with with Jones and uh, and Tunyon, who's looked good. He's not got a whole lot of touches this year. Um, but they'll they'll move that stuff, they'll use motion, they'll they'll use multiple motions. They've got the the orbit stuff. You see a lot of like that the um the balance look from them where it's the two by two stack with the running back directly back or just slightly offset, and you motion, and you kind of see how that stuff moves. I mean, they're with Jones this year, I mean, I think they knew before the season, and they even said as much before the season. He is our best, uh, our best skill position. We need to find ways to get him, and they've, I mean, they've been doing it. And they've been doing a pretty good job. He had a, a tough day, day against the Bucks. The entire offense, outside of the, uh, you know, first two drives, uh, first three drives up until the fumble, I guess, had a had a nice or a rough day against the Bucks. But for the most part, I mean, they're they're hunting mismatches. They're seeing what they can get for him, and he's been capitalized. He looks. I don't know if it's just my eyes or something, man. He looks more explosive this year than he has in past years. Not that he was never like unexplosive, but he's got that extra gear through the hole that I feel like he was kind of missing a little bit last year. But yeah, they're they're hunting, man. You'll you'll see him, you'll see him early in the game, you'll see him in the script, and you'll see him late try to come back to that. So if they find something early, um, I, th- I think they're gonna you'll you'll see him keep coming back to it. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate 
isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Why is this new water called Liquid Death? Because it will brutally murder your thirst. And the recyclable Tallboy cans are helping to bring death to plastic bottles. I've tried Liquid Death, and I am still here. I'm not plastic, nor am I thirsty anymore, because my former parched state was quenched by the tart acidic taste of one of their flavors, Severed Lime. The lime became severed because it messed with another Liquid Death flavor, Mango Chainsaw, which combines real agave nectar with Leatherface to slice the uncomfortable drought festering in your oral cavity. Into berries and fruit, Go six feet deep with a heartbeat with their sparkling flavor, Bury It Alive. If you love still or sparkling water, go get Liquid Death at your local Woodman's, 7-Eleven, Roundy's, or Hy-Vee, or find a Liquid Death retailer near you with their store locator tool at liquiddeath.com. Just use the promo code BIGBLUE. That's liquiddeath.com slash BIGBLUE. What's going on, Big Blue Banter listeners? Do you like to place bets and find ways to optimize your betting experience? Well, then OddsTrader.com is the place for you. OddsTrader is a place to compare odds from all the major sports books. You can also compare the different sign-up codes and promotions from sports books to get the best deal. OddsTrader offers handicapping, play-by-play updates, player statistics, key game statistics, live scoring and tracking, projected game day, weather, and Bet Tracker allows you to keep records of all your games and betting activity. So if you like to place bets and you want to get the most out of that experience, go to oddstrader.com and use the promo code BLUEWIRE. That's oddstrader.com slash BLUEWIRE. OddsTrader, the number one site for all your game day bets. If the Giants do align in cover three, which is something that they've done a lot this season, I don't expect them to do it as much, but Wink will wink, like you said, and he'll, he will sometimes. <laughs> The flats will be exploited by a player like Aaron Jones. And a lot of times I feel like the Packers will have Bob Tanyan up as an H back and then align him, just send him to the flat, just quick, easy pitch and catch plays like that. You can really take advantage of the Giants defense when they're in cover three with plays such as that. I want to also first let's touch on A.J. Dillon and then we'll get into the wide receivers sure. for a second. What's your impression of A.J. Dillon so far? And do we call this game the battle of the thighs with AJ Dillon squaring up against Saquon Barkley? Listen, man, if we don't get a picture of those guys side by side with shorts pulled up, like what are we even doing here, man? No, like, yeah. yeah, no, I, I love AJ Dillon. I mean, just uh, personality wise, um, just 
pre-football, like even before we get to football, his personality is tremendous. I love that man to death. Uh, tremendous ambassador for the Packers. His numbers have not been great this year. Um, and again, I think some of that's the pony stuff and what they're trying to kind of do with that. He's looked way better when they just get him because so much of their stuff, their pony stuff is basically it's just it's shotgun and then it's, it's split gun. So it's guys offsetting their side. That's not Dylan. Like Dylan's game is not run out of shotgun. They had a um, shotgun run at fourth and one out of the at the goal line with Dylan. It's like, don't do that. Do not do that. So he's at his best when they can get under center. Uh, they don't really do pistol, but when they get on our center and just single back AJ Dillon and he can find that hole and hit it, I think if it gets a little too muddied for him, um, if you have that extra running back near him, like I feel like the picture gets muddied if he has to take that lateral step before he can really hit the hole, like he can still do that, but he's really best served as like the under center run game. So when they get to that, or even if he's single back and shotgun, we've seen decent success there. Uh, he, I, I said Jones looks more explosive this year. Dylan looks slightly less so. I feel like he's he's not breaking the amount of tackles. He, we've seen a couple trucks, but not as much as we did last year. So I'm kind of curious if, th- if something is going on there. But I really like him. You'll still see him put his head down, drive forward a guy. I think someone, that was, I can't remember who it was, saying if, if you need A.J. Dylan to get you two yards, he's going to get you four. If you need him to get you six, he's going to get you four. And I think that's a little... I don't think that's quite true. Uh, we He does have a little bit of burst. He can pick up extra yards if they're there. But he's not – I mean, if someone's going to break a run, it's it's going to be Jones. Dylan is your pounder. He can catch – I mean, I will be interested with – like you said, if they play that cover three and those flats are expo- exposed, Dylan's a guy who they will throw to in the flat, and he is a better receiver than, than his college tape give him credit for, mainly because they never – I think he had four targets in college. Like, he is a good receiver, so I wouldn't be shocked if they use him a little bit more – uh, on that going forward, but he's been, it's been weird. I think it's just what, again, some of those tweaks, some of the tinkering they're doing on offense hasn't suited his skill set. Um, but he can still, he'll still put, he'll still hit you in the mouth, man. Yeah. I wouldn't want to be a linebacker squaring up in the hole against no. AJ Dillon. No, that guy would mm-hmm. run right through my face. Speaking of guys who can run Romeo Dobbs, Christian Watson, two athletic rookies. It seems like Dobbs has somewhat earned the trust of Aaron Rodgers, And that seems to be a, a huge thing that you need if you're going to be an offensive player on the Green Bay Packers. I think the the pass that he dropped, now it's unfortunate that he dropped it, but I believe I heard that Aaron Rodgers, that was like an alert play where he Mm -hmm. gave Dobbs a look similar to what he used to do to Devontae Adams all the time and was like, hey, run this route based on what we were seeing. And Dobbs actually ran the correct route. Mm -hmm. It's just he didn't complete the catch, I guess, through the end of the play, similar to like so many other plays that we've seen over the last decade. Des Bryant, obviously you guys know very well about that play. I do. But can you speak to... Dobbs, do you think he is legit? And what is his ceiling right now? As a, I wouldn't say he's the number one receiver. It's probably more Alan Lazard, but you could probably speak better to that than I can. But what do you think Romeo Dobbs' ceiling is right now? And do you just think his role is just going to continue to expand as he earns more and more trust from Aaron Rodgers? Yeah, I mean, I think his ceiling is is high. I mean, for the fourth round rookie or something. I mean, right now, I think he's. I mean, he's seems solidly in the number two. And for a fourth round rookie to be solidly the number two in, in Green Bay, that's kind of shocking. There was a play, I mean, last week, there was, like I said, there was the alert play. The one that there was a couple that really got me, um, but the back shoulder touchdown, just because in the past, that's that's one of the issues Rodgers had with rookies, with younger guys, is that timing, is that feel, because it's, it's reading that coverage and then kind of coming back to that, knowing that's coming to the back shoulder. I mean, we've seen 
you know, Equinemius St. Brown and, and some of those guys that came through rookie year, even second year, you'd see Rogers throw that. And it's, it's the exact same thing. It's like that, that little go route up the sideline coverage is inside and over the top Rogers throws outside back shoulder and the ball misses by five yards. Cause the guy just, you know, he doesn't, he's not reading it the same. He doesn't see it till late. So see Dobbs doing stuff like that. I mean, he, I think he's still, he still has some issues. I think one of, one of his main issues he has is, uh, and we saw it against the Patriots. I don't know how much we're going to see against the Giants just based on what I've seen, although maybe they will. He has a hard time getting off the line. Like he is a big physical dude um, with the ball in his hands. You'll see him. He had a play this past week, uh, and I think we'll see a lot more like it. Contacted two yards after he caught it, like in the flat, and dragged the guy another 11 yards. Like he is a big body dude. He's physical. He'll drag you, but his release package isn't great. And if you beat him up at the line a little bit, it really, you would, there was at least one incomplete pass. That was kind of a little slot fade that they love with Devante, that they love against a single high stuff that he just got rerouted from the jump and could never get back on track and the ball missed by 10 yards. So, I mean, if there's an issue, there's that. And the hands are a little suspect, but he's got, he's got speed. Like he's got enough speed to burn. He tremendous body control. Uh, I think from, again, what he's shown as a fourth-round rookie so far, you know, I I, I like Alan Lazard. I really like Alan Lazard. Uh, Alan Lazard is uh, – he's, he's best used if you can find if – if you can do what works well for him, which he works so well as a blocker, and he can get open by himself. Dobbs seems to me more like a number one, prototypical number one, than Lazard if you're looking like a true, like, X receiver. That's Dobbs more than Lazard. And Lazard has that trust, and he's got a little more on the offense. But if Dobbs finishes the year as a solid number two option, but also with more yards than Lazard, like I don't think anyone's going to bat an eye. And then he, if he ends this year as the true number one going into next year, that wouldn't shock me a bit based on what we've seen so far. He had so much uh, preseason hype, spring training, the, the training camp stuff. He looks amazing. Preseason looks amazing. And it was, let's see it in the games. And we're seeing the games. Like he's not dominating. He's not taking over. He's just really, really solid. And if that's his floor four games in, I mean, he, he could be, he has a chance to be very, very good. And he has a chance to be very good. I think by the end of this year. Yeah. Hopefully not this week. If, if the <laughs> big Rubanto listeners are, are checking this out, but it's still like, like we said, it's fascinating to see from a scheme standpoint, how this is all going to break down the giants. Like, like we've said several times, they haven't faced the best quarterbacks who could exploit the giants downfield. But if you watch the all 22 and you see the film, there were plays to be had last week. Darnell Mooney splitting a cover two just wide open in the middle of the field that Justin Fields missed plays like that. Aaron Rodgers isn't missing that. So that could be a, a setup for a player like Dobbs or a player like Alan Lazard, who's a piece of cheesecake away from being a tight end. And then there's Christian Watson. He seems like he's, I don't think he's running as many routes as these guys. I don't even know if he's the, the person in the 11 personnel package, or is that more of a Randall Cobb role? But either way, I'm scared anytime he touches the football oh because gosh. he's an elite athlete. Can you speak on Watson and then speak <laughs> and then juxtapose him next to Randall Cobb and what each of those players offer? Sure. Uh, so Watson's it's tough to tell because their rough their roughest game running the ball obviously was the Bucks and the Bucks have I was going to say they have a good defense and I believe that even after what we saw what the Chiefs did to them this past week and right. one of the reasons I think they had such a tough time with running the ball aside from the Bucks defense Watson was injured that game. Uh, he did not play and that speed. You can just, you can see the effect he has on the front overall on the linebackers on the D line and kind of opening up those gaps, like his, his speed alone. And they're giving more, I mean, they do those jet sweeps and that doesn't matter unless you give it every now and then they're, they've been giving it to him about once a game on those, um, which like before the season was kind of a, uh, kind of assumed that was going to happen. You see his NDSU tape and it's just, 
get the ball in his hands however you can, close to the line of scrimmage, and maybe something pops. So they've been giving it to him about once a game on that. Um, and even when they don't, it's enough to influence the influence the defense. And he's been he's been open when he gets downfield. He's not been playing as many snaps. I think some of that was like he missed training camp with the injury and then he missed a game with the, with a hamstring. Like he's had some struggles staying, staying healthy so far. And so I think they're trying to preserve him a little. I've not looked at snap counts. He's not been out there a ton, at least not as much as the other guys, but when he's out there, like he's getting open. He's beaten guys at the line. He's, he's a more refined route runner than I think people gave him credit for. And he's, like I said, if, if you want a guy that looks like that's just splitting guys downfield, that's cooking dudes. I mean, his first route of the year, he cooked, I know, Patrick Peterson. I know he's he's 47 years old at this point, but like cooked him and ate him clean. And if he catches that ball, I think everyone's talking about him a little different. That is a concern is his hands. But when he's out there again, he changes the angles in the run game when they're running legit stuff. And defenses are sitting back a little bit more just because you kind of have to. And he's still winning. Like if you watch him again, the routes he's running, he's winning. He's open on the vast majority of these. And some of it is Rodgers does not have time to see him just because of some of the line issues on the right. But I think it's only a matter of time before before Watson pops. We just we haven't seen it yet. And he's not reliable enough yet, I think, for people to really be scared of him. Um, which, yeah, contrast that with Randall Cobb. Full disclosure, I graduated from University of Kentucky. I was it was was there when Cobb was there uh, as as quarterback. And so I'm about as big a Randall Cobb fan as you will find in this entire world. Um, he's got a little more wiggle to him, a little more explosion than we've seen even from last year. But I mean, really, all he's going to give you, he used to be an ex- a very good blocker in the run game. He's not really that anymore. He's always been undersized. He's never been a top end speed guy. But that short area quickness he still has. And he's got muscle, man. Like you'll see him. Yeah. He had a, a big third down conversion this past week. I think it was uh, third and one, third and four, the first drive of overtime uh, this past week just muscle the guy inside the guy was playing him like inside he muscled to the inside shoulder and just beat him across the line like he's he's refined enough route runner in that short area where he can still beat you and and he'll muscle you on it and he's got the quickness to do it he's got the quickness to get off the line he's just not going to break anything for like more than 25 yards because he just can't at this point but as far as like if you need seven yards Cobb's gonna get Cobb will get you eight Cobb will get you ten like he'll he'll do that and you know there's trust there. And he's also really good at muscling defensive backs away from him in playoff games that are possibly OPIs that aren't called to end at I don't half. know what you're talking about. I don't know what you're talking about, Nick. <laughs> I do not know. I don't I don't know what you're referring to. But he's not <laughs> dusty as good as Hakeem Nix. <laughs> <laughs> we are re- well, we're true. really going back more than a decade now. <laughs> but we should probably transition to to the defense and also anything that you want to ask about the Giants too, man. You could shoot. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, I mean, the defense has been some of the, some of the big stuff. I mean, offense, I mean, honest to God, my offensive question at this point is, do they have a quarterback that can play? But a lot of it is some of the defensive stuff, some of the alignment, the sim pressures, which we already kind of touched on was kind of my big thing. I was kind of looking at that coming into this game and there's so much, I mean, I I legitimately was laughing at some of it because you're looking going, okay, what defense are they playing? And it's seven guys at the line. You've got off coverage on like the two wide receivers and then a safety set like 25 yards back. Okay, I know what coverage this is. Uh, So I'm interested to see what they do there. But yeah, how does – I mean, listen, there's been talk of like Saquon Barkley ran some stuff uh, this past week because he had to. Do they – are they going to get Wildcat just because they feel like they have to or because – because I mean, because that's one of the weaknesses with the Packers defense is run game so far. Patriots kind of – Patriots murdered them with it this past week. Um, is that is that something you think the Giants will lean heavily into? Are they a team that will with Brian Dable there? Are they a team that will 
run it 50 times a game if they feel like that'll help them win? Or do you think they'll get away from that if, if just, just because it's boring? I think they would run the ball 50 times a game if they I'm were having success. Of. Yeah, I really do. I think if you watch the how varied their rushing attack has been game by game, it really forces you to just applaud Brian Dable and first-time play caller, first-time offensive coordinator Mike Kafka. Like against Tennessee, who runs a predominant over front, they, they use double pullers and they kind of adjusted to do this with their play side guard and their place and their center. I shouldn't say play side center. There's only one center and their center and they would lead block and Tennessee's linebackers weren't, I would feel like skilled enough to work through the trash and work through the traffic to scrape over the top and get the Saquon Barkley and Barkley hit laterally several different times, sprung a bunch of big runs, isolated poor Amani Hooker against Saquon Barkley and Hooker just took the worst <laughs> angle against an athlete like Barkley. And then Week two against Carolina, I feel like Carolina did a very good job coming out in like an oaky front. So they basically had a nose, two five techniques on the outside shoulder of the tackles. And they would use their linebackers to aggressively pinch into the B gap whenever they thought it was a run. And the Giants were able to exploit that by hitting play action passes a little bit later on through the game. But the Giants were not really running the football all that well. Whenever they tried to go lateral, whenever the Panthers linebackers saw a puller, shoot the gap, shoot the gap, undercut it, tackle Saquon Barkley. And Frankie Louvu looked like Brian Urlacher in that game. <laughs> and then Dallas, Dallas did a good job shutting down the run. And really it was just, we need to keep Daniel Jones live because the offensive line couldn't block the pass rush. So they really started working and they did a little bit, a little bit of this against Carolina to move the pocket play action bootleg. And then that was basically their entire game plan when they passed the football against Chicago. And it was Daniel Jones. If you have room to run, take the ball and, I've never seen a worse defensive performance than I saw than the Chicago Bears against yeah, the New York. Sounds, that sounds right. <laughs> Daniel, dude, Daniel Jones scored two touchdowns on the same exact play. And it was a really well faked out play. And I loved it because the Giants were rolling it, running out 13 personnel. 13 personnel, and they basically ran halfback misdirection to the weak side. Daniel Jones keep it bootleg. Tanner Hudson would release into a flag route. Nobody ever contained Daniel Jones until late in the third quarter when Jaquan Brisker came down, sacked him, and that's where he hurt his ankle. It does look like Daniel Jones is going to play in this game. Giants did not sign a quarterback. Tyrod Taylor is still in the concussion protocol, so it could be Daniel Jones at I don't know if it's going to be a hundred percent. You need a hundred percent Daniel Jones, hundred percent relative to right now. You could sure. say, you know, obviously no one's a hundred percent, but Daniel Jones and his legs, that's what makes this offense work. And it's all centralized around the defense's desire to shut down Saquon Barkley. And in within that desire, they forget that Daniel Jones is a really good athlete. And mm -hmm. that's how the giants have had a lot of success. Even against Dallas, he rushed for 70 plus yards in that game. Like the Giants lead the league in rushing right now. And Saquon mm -hmm. Barkley is an absolute stud, but Daniel Jones also has 188 rushing yards right now. He's <laughs> he's chewing it up on the ground. He hasn't they're three and one, Dusty, and they and they haven't they haven't thrown for more than 200 yards in a game. Is that That's true? Been, yes. They have <laughs> David Sills playing 90% of the snaps. Richie James, Kadarius Tony practices on Wednesday and then he's a DMP on Thursday. Yeah. He's not playing. Wondell Robinson looks unlikely to play. That's their second round pick, a top 50 guy, a player that we respect, but he's like five six, five seven. He's a smaller Again, player. UK guy, Nick. I know all about Wondell Robinson. I love oh. that dude. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. We love Wondell Robinson, but He's a smaller player and he can't find the football field right now, which sucks because he was so damn tough at UK, mm -hmm. as you are plenty aware of. So the Giants haven't, they don't have the receivers. Their offensive line is 
I would say above average to good at run blocking, but they're 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 a liability at, at, as pass blockers. And I'm worried about Rashawn Gary. If I'm going to be real Gracious. with you, I'm worried about Rashawn Gary against Evan Neal. I think that could be an issue. Evan Neal has had his struggles. I, I remain optimistic about him. I mean, Andrew Thomas looked terrible in his rookie season, the first half of his rookie season, honestly. And I don't watch every team in football, but I would be hard pressed to say that there are five to six offensive tackles in the league that are playing at as high of a level as Andrew Thomas at this mm -hmm. moment. That's how good and as impressive as he's been. And then the interior offensive line, they're tough. They're gritty. Glowinski and Kenny Clark, that's something I'm a little scared of. Glowinski has a yeah. pretty soft shoulder and he gets pushed back. He gets pushed back pretty quickly. John Feliciano is, is tough. He's a self-proclaimed scumbag, wants to eat people's faces off. And, sure. I, and I love that. You know, I absolutely love that. But Again, in pass protection, it, it's not always the smoothest, and it seems like the Giants are going to roll with Ben Bredesen. It's been kind of a rotation between him and third-round rookie Josh Azudu. Either way, I, I think Bredesen is probably the more stable player. Azudu has higher upside, more athletic, you know, develop into something special, yada, 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 all that. But either way, Kenny Clark, Dean Lowry, Jerron Reed, Preston Smith, like Rashawn Gary, that, that's, that's somewhat, I would say, of a scary front for this offensive line to go against if you're going to go into a traditional pass set type of offense and look to throw downfield. And when you don't have the receivers that can create separation, it's difficult to do that. And I can even circle back on the receivers if you want me and talk about Darius Slayton, who made this team as no special teams value and then hardly played until last week where he dropped passes, did draw an OPI at least. Every time he steps on the football field, I'm like, you have talent, you're fast, you can release off the line of scrimmage, you can create separation through your own God-given athletic ability, but you're so damn inefficient. So it's kind of frustrating. So that's like, it's a very weird situation. The Giants have so much money and so many assets allocated mm -hmm. to their wide receiver position and none of them can find the field. And when they do, they suck, they're dusted like Freaking Russell Wilson seems to be right now. Like Kenny Galladay hurt his knee, so I don't want to kick him while he's down. But Dusty, sure. it's not great. It's not no. great, man. It's not great right now. So I wanted him I in Green Bay. Right I wanted him in Green Bay, and then I watched him. We're like, well, thank God he didn't come to Green Bay. <laughs> Seventy-two million, bro. The Giants invested seventy-two million into that dude, and that guy can't create any separation. And he and he played two snaps healthy against the Carolina Panthers. That's insane. That's insane because in Detroit for a while he looked like one of the best receivers in the division. Like it's insane no. what happened to that man. Um, yeah, I mean defensive line. Like I said, Gary. Gary's been a monster, dude. Gary's just been. At, this was the guy that like when they drafted him twelfth overall. Like he can grow into this. We hope, and we started seeing it last year, and he's been just man on fire. Some of that speed to power stuff he's got. Like he's got very little, very little bend. He's just a very strong man that is just he's just absolutely killing people. The wrestle and, and Preston Smith has been very good. Um, I, I worried about him. He played very good last year. He had a tendency of uh let's say contract years playing very, very good and then coming to camp kind of overweight and playing himself into shape eventually. But he's been tremendous this year. Kenny Clark's been amazing. The rest of the defensive line, not great. And honestly, the linebackers haven't been all that good either. They've been like I said, Jaron Reed came in. Uh, high hopes for him. He's not been overly good. TJ Slayton is a second year guy out of Florida, big bodied guy. And he showed some stuff last year, hoping for a second year jump. He hasn't done a whole lot. Uh, you know, Devontae Wyatt out of Georgia has barely seen the field. I wanted to ask you about that because we liked on this podcast, Devontae yeah. Wyatt. And then I checked his snap counts and I was like, I think he played like 13 snaps or something last week. Like what's going on with that? It's not been great. I don't know. I've not heard much, you know, before the season it was because he had a hard time seeing the uh, the rotation and they had a, a joint practice with the Saints. 
he had a hard time. He wasn't cracking first rotation all training camp. It was kind of this, what's going on? Because I mean, one of the things with why was he was 24 when they drafted him. The Packers never do that. Packers never try to draft anyone past like 22. They like the young guys. They're drafting Kenny Clark. Kenny Clark was like, had just turned 20. Like they try to get young if they can. So 24 was kind of, he's old man. He's plug and play. Like, we'll just go ahead and we'll just, we'll, we'll stick him in there and he's going to be good from day one. And from what I've heard, because I've not, again, there's no tape to look at with him. It's just kind of a, what you're hearing. And from what I'm hearing, like it's, it's more or less, it's go back to an old Mike McCarthyism. It's, it's essentially pad level. My understanding is like, he's playing a little too high. Uh, and he's just, he's kind of getting pushed around in a way that, that people were not really anticipating him to get pushed around. So at some point, I assume he's going to crack the field, but so far he is not. Um, Dean Lowry turned in a career year last year and has been mostly fine this year. And the linebackers of, of Kate Campbell, who was a revelation last year, one of the best free agent signings the Packers have ever had. They signed him to a big deal. He hasn't quite been what he was, and I think there's reasons for that. And Quay Walker was the rookie out of Georgia. He's been like athletic, and he'll make some plays, but he gets lost on occasion. They've been using him, kind of walking him up over a gap a little bit They to kind of get in the, the, the penny look more than the nickel, um, which I think may have been part of Campbell's deal. He's used to kind of be in the one linebacker in the middle. I think his reads are a little muddy because he's playing back a little more nickel with, with him and Quay Walker. So I think they're trying to mix that up a little. But this front, all offseason, it was defense is going to be amazing. This front's going to be good. Outside of Kenny Clark, I mean, the defensive line has been, and, you know, outside the edge, I guess, defensive line has been middling at best. I mean, just absolutely bullied against the Patriots on the run game last year. So that was seen, hoped to be a strength uh, coming into the year. And they've they've not really they've they've struggled so far this year. So I wouldn't be shocked if if the Giants again, Giants probably not the best interior offensive line, but I wouldn't be shocked if they were able to push them around a little bit just because they've not been uh, they've not been great so far this year. And I'm also interested at least to see what kind of personnel packages the Giants roll out there because obviously they have a dearth of talent like we went over at the wide receiver position and we saw some of that. Maybe this is some of the reason why they went to so much 13 personnel. They only have three mm-hmm. tight ends on their roster. And one of them is a, it's kind of like a fullback in Chris Myrick, but they rolled out 13 personnel overloaded sets so much. And the Chicago bears didn't know really how to defend it. Whenever they would try to account for all of those extra gaps where those tight ends were giants ran weak side and they would have a ton of success on the first or second run of the game. In the first drive, the New York giants ran and it was like a one yard game. Maybe it was stopped at the line of scrimmage, whatever it was, but they were in that formation and Chicago just aligned everybody over there to the, to the heavy strength <laughs> and they ran the football and it got just crashed down the line of scrimmage. And what happened was the giants double team because it was an overfront. They double teamed the one technique next drive. They come out. These are the adjustments that Kafka will do next drive. They come out the giants pin pull the, the one technique to the weak side. So Glowinski blocks down on the one John Feliciano pulls, picks up the will linebacker and it's just Saquon Barkley off in the distance. All you need is those, <laughs> those backside blocks to be executed and they were executed pristinely. I think Barkley ran for 18 yards on that play could have been a touchdown, but it was a really nice angle taken by the safety to kind of force Barkley towards the sideline. So if your front is kind of getting, you know, pushed around a little bit, I expect the giants to really try to, 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 take advantage of that. And they also love to run duo. So double teams force, try to displace, climb to the linebackers. The, the Giants love doing that. That's more of one of their base runs, mm-hmm. but they have to attack laterally and they're going to do it in a variety of different ways. They're going to bring Matt Breida on the field. Sometimes they're going to line him as a wing back. They're going to motion him around Daniel Jones in orbit motion. They're going to use him on jet sweeps. They're going to use him on jet sweeps. They're going to use him on jet sweeps and then they're going to hand the jet sweep to him. So I should say when they were using them, it was more of a decoy. So I feel like 
the way Kafka and Dable have sequenced plays together mm -hmm. to make the defense think one thing and then just basically go off the total opposite to just trick them. It's been pretty excellent so far this season. And also the RPO game is something that the giants have, have done a really good job with. I think Daniel Jones's ability to use his mobility is a mm -hmm. key part. If the giants want to compete in this football game. And one thing that they've been using in terms of just zone read and the RPO game more specifically is they will go into the mesh point, And if Daniel Jones reads the defender, the defender's, crashes daniel jones will keep it run around the edge and then to that play side you have daniel bellinger rookie tight end in the flat and then you have a seven route basically high lowing the flat corner right there and that corner is in conflict if that end man on line of scrimmage crashes and he's not disciplined which green bay you guys need to be disciplined with the zone read oh, we, we will not be <laughs> <laughs> that's not going to be well for you because in those situations and i saw this against carolina and i saw it against dallas and you saw it once and daniel jones kept it last week against chicago what's that cornerback supposed to do he has to sink to remove the seven or he has to come up to play daniel bellinger in the flat but then you still have daniel jones outrunning everybody to the sideline mm -hmm. it's such a tough place for that cornerback to be in and the giants are picking up you know eight yards nine yards five yards on these plays just Hank Stram matriculating the football down the field. That's the way the Giants are, are moving. And, and people say it's gimmicky. I don't really like the word gimmicky. I don't, I don't think that's the best way to describe it. But it's not traditional Daniel Jones is going to drop back. He's going to go through a full field progression like an Aaron Rodgers will. When he does drop back in a traditional manner, it's typically quick hitters or quick game or a dagger concept to try to hit that intermediate dig route off mm -hmm. the clear out, stuff like that. And I also feel like this coaching staff is really telling Daniel Jones, if that B gap opens, take it and run, pick up the six, get down. And I feel like that's something that he's done a pretty damn good job with. He's been decisive with that. I feel like coaching staff is trying to take some weight off of him because Daniel Jones has been known to turn the football over a little bit through an interception. Oh, yeah? Yeah, just a little bit, just a little bit. He threw a really bad interception in week one in the red zone, trying to target Saquon Barkley on a back shoulder. And then at the end of the first half, they attempted to go in a two-minute drill, and he threw this pass that Frankie Louvu undercut and dropped. But it would have been a pick six and probably would have sealed a victory the way that game was going for the Carolina Panthers. So the Giants are being judicious with Daniel Jones. Sure. And and I, and I like the kid. I like Daniel Jones. And I think he's a you know conscientious, very hard worker. I don't think he's terrible. I think he probably gets a bad rap from national guys, but I also don't really think he is a starting quarterback that you want to build around. I think he could be like a yeah. high end backup, you know? Yeah, he seems like he's got ability. I feel like I feel like the knock on Daniel Jones is he'll do enough dumb stuff that he'll make fun of, and that's what you remember. I remember him like was it the was it Cowboys a couple years ago? Like the big long run that he tripped over his Eagles. own feet at the 15 or something. Eagles, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. you remember that, but like he had to get down there still as a 40 yard run or whatever. So I feel like he's run. was it 80 yards? Yeah. Yeah. I feel like he's he feel like he's like probably a perfectly fine quarterback that I would barely think of if it wasn't for every now and then he just does something real, real dumb. But he's I mean, he can, <laughs> damning with faint praise. He can be competent, I'll say. From yeah, what I've seen right. <laughs> Especially with good offensive minds around him. And that's what mm -hmm. I think. That's what I think this coaching staff offers. If I have to say anything about the New York Giants and the big difference, other than the upgrades that they made on the roster, slight upgrades that they made on the roster, there's still plenty of holes. But the big difference as to why they're three and one right now, independent of the fact that their schedule has been somewhat easy, is the coaching, the preparation. Mm -hmm. 
the adjustments, the aggressiveness. It's so much different than what we experienced under Joe Judge and then with a Jason Garrett and Freddie Kitchens offense. Like that offense was really bad to watch. That, like this, that offense went exactly like I thought it was going to be when I saw the names attached to it. <laughs> it wasn't good. And I, I agree with owner John Mara. I think John Mara put it really well when he said, we've done everything in our power to screw Daniel Jones up. At the same time, I don't think that means that he is the long-term answer either. But I like the fact that, hey, this kid is still cheap. He's on the last year of his rookie mm -hmm. contract. Allow him to play it out. See if you want to maybe give him another year if you don't love other players in college. I think he's competent enough to to win some football games. And, and, and he's proving that right now. But you temper some expectations. And I, I hope that he gets, you know, Kadarius, Tony, Wanda Robinson back. So maybe the offense can evolve and grow a little bit more. Maybe we can even get a clearer picture on Daniel Jones, but he just has to be a little bit more cautious with the football, which I think generally speaking, he's done this season, despite the fact that he did put it in harm's way those few times that I brought up. But Dusty, before we get out of here, got to bring up the secondary, man. The secondary is um, a little scary. Jair Alexander's a dude. I love that kid. I love that kid when he came out of school. He's a he went to Louisville. So like, yeah. what's your opinion of him as a Kentucky guy? Is there a Louisville Kentucky rivalry? I know they're, they're not in the sec, but yeah, I mean, they, they play each other every year and, and for a while, cause I've been here for 30 plus years at this point. Um, for a while it was Louisville would just would kill him every year. Cause UK was terrible. And so it was like a rivalry that wasn't a rivalry. Now UK is good and Louisville wasn't very good. So, I mean, there, there is some just cause it's in state and they play each other every year. And so it's a little bad blood. Like Personally, I don't like it's one of those things. I, I pay attention to college football somewhat. I grew up in or lived in Florida when I started paying attention to college sports. I actually came up as a Florida Gators fan, transferred to UK once I actually graduated from UK. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> not been good this year. No, I've been good. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's I've always been a guy, even when I was uh my my younger days as a Florida fan, I hated the Seminoles until they made it to the NFL. Then I was like, Oh, I know that guy. Like that was a bit I was the biggest works done fan of the world after I hated that guy for like three or four years. So uh so yeah, I mean I I like uh if someone comes out, I'm a big Lamar Jackson guy, you know, oh, yeah. saw saw him in college. So it's kind of this I don't like them in college, and once they go to the NFL, it's oh, I like that guy. So yeah, I, I'm a big fan of Jair, I'm a big fan of his game after I did not like him for uh for whatever three years there i'm gonna say jair alexander is gonna have fun shutting down david sills all game like <laughs> I, the giants don't have somebody right here for for him to pay a lot of respect to but this is a loaded secondary like eric stokes mm -hmm. is playing better than what i think i anticipated oh, yeah. when he was a first round pick out of georgia from everything that i've collected a little bit of the defense that i've seen and then you have a dynamic duo at safety adrian amos and darnell savage mm -hmm. and then Rosal douglas is also somebody that every time he was a free agent i was like hey go and sign this guy this guy has talent and then he signs with you guys and makes like these game-changing plays and prime time television to win football games what's your overall opinion on this secondary and how do you think well first off what's your overall opinion on the secondary and then we'll get into joe barry a little bit so they've been slightly underperforming so far. And it looks like, so Jair missed last game. He got injured. Uh, you know, he missed whatever half of last season. And then he got injured a couple games ago and played, I think, two snaps and came out. Didn't play at all last week. It's looking like he's probably going to play this week, uh, Jair is, which, which is nice. But yeah, I mean, the secondary, that was another one. They came into the year and I think expectations were high that, well, Jair's back. And then Stokes, I think the, the main question has always been, where do you play those guys? Um, and that, that's been one something they've been, I think they've been playing some guys out of position a little bit when Jair has been healthy because they've been bumping Rasul into slot when he's much more like Sewell and, and Stokes are outside guys. They're, they excel at the outside. When Jair is kind of that smaller, he's twitchy enough 
and he's just tremendous that you could move him anywhere. So I'm, I'm curious to see what they do when he's back because he does seem – I think they want to keep him out of slot just because they don't want him taking on offensive linemen in the running game perhaps with the shoulder injury he had last year. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, they've got those three guys. I do think there, there's there been some some issues with mixing and matching when all those three guys are healthy. Stokes has been tremendous. He still – he'll have some issues. Um, he's still – some of his speed, he's – he's too fast sometimes i feel like like the top of the break like he'll kind of carry a guy too far vertically and when that stop comes stokes is off the screen at that point because that, that kind of stop and recognition he's not quite there yet and some of like those deep curl stuff uh so he'll he'll get better on there his ball skills have not been great but yeah those three guys are great amos has been tremendous he was concussion protocol i think he's i think he practiced today or yesterday i guess before they flew out so i assume he's gonna be playing savage has been Still somewhat of a question mark. Like he'll make some plays. Uh, he's I I like him, but he also is out of position from time to time. So there's I think there's it, it's a very good secondary uh, on paper. I think they've struggled a little more than I kind of thought, but they've still. I mean, listen, like you said Rasul, uh, another guy, revelation. Like there's all these he he signed from the Cardinals practice squad. And they immediately got the interception that won the game on Thursday night uh, last year, and all of the reports out of there is. I mean, everyone in the building is Rasul's the smartest guy I've met. He's tremendous. He's always in the film room. Like he's he had a pick six on Stafford. I think the week after that Cardinals game, that was just basically, you know, pick six on Stafford. You know, who who doesn't have one at this point, right? <laughs> Where he baited a high low, kind of looked like it was a. I think it was, a, it was like a smash return concept. So he's kind of dropping back. It looks like he's dropping back as soon as Stafford throws throw that return. Sewell jumps it, meets, gets to the ball before the guy does, and, and does a pick six. So, like I said, like the it's a smart secondary, it's a good secondary. They're just, I think they're still when all those three guys are healthy, they're figuring some stuff out. Amos, Amos struggled a little in the first couple of games, and I think he's kind of back to normal. So the the safeties, I think Savage can get lost sometimes. Um, so you say you can pick on them a little bit, but like I don't know if like you specifically, if the Giants are going to pick on them specifically, because they are they they are very talented. There's just there's these little hiccups they're still trying to work out, I think. Yeah, I don't know exactly how the Giants can pick on them at the moment. <laughs> and it's not necessarily just a knock on Jones or anything. It's also a knock on the the passing attack as a whole, the protection things like there's just there's a lot of little holes with the Giants roster that I feel like bad teams couldn't really exploit mm -hmm. so the Packers they might not be the best team in the NFC right now but they're still a damn good football team mm -hmm. one thing I will say though this is your guys first game in London it's your first game overseas maybe maybe the giant you know maybe maybe Aaron Rodgers maybe, yeah. maybe he has too much fish and chips or something who knows listen I've been thinking about it. I try not to put I try not to think about this angle too much because you, you control what you can control you control what the, the what I've seen what I've seen from the offense what I've seen from the defense but listen, man, there's something to play in a game at 9.30 in the morning if you're not used to playing a game at 9.30 in the morning. Like, I wouldn't be shocked if they sleepwalk through the first half just because, like, their bodies just are not ready for it. Like, I, they're trying to do all this stuff. They're trying to get ready. But LaFleur doesn't want to be there. Uh, LaFleur's pressers, uh, I think someone someone compared it to he sounds like the like the dad that has to take his kids on vacation but doesn't want to take his kids on vacation. He's just like, we got to do this. We got to go. So I am curious to see how, how they come out, how they look when they come out because that is – yeah, they've they've – I don't know. We've we've seen them come out flat in games before, and those were games were not at nine thirty in London. So I'm I'm very curious how that how that impacts them. I think that's an interesting point. And but just quickly before we get out of here, what is the overall opinion of Joe Barry as the defensive coordinator? I think that's been up and down since he's kind of assumed that role. Um, some people are very upset, and some people are not. I'm I think I fall somewhere in the middle. I'm 
I liked last year and the defensively that did not, I think DVOA, they were 24th, something like that. And they were, I think 12th against the pass and then on 28th against the run, something like that. He seems like he's structurally fine. And last year that was a thing. Like they kind of gave up what they gave up. They were pretty good in the red. They were awful, atrocious in the red zone for the first half of the season. Then that the regression comes in and they eventually kind of even out. The guys are where they're supposed to be more often than not. Um, the, I, it's a it's a real low bar to clear, man, because for years, defensive coordinator was like once or twice a game, there's going to be a blown coverage and someone's going to get beat real bad. And last year, like that didn't really happen. Like you, you had to you had to beat them every single play if you wanted to beat that defense. And, and teams would because they play off. There's a lot of off coverage there. And that's maddening this year in the Jefferson game, the first game against the Vikings. I mean, I think the coverages were fine, honest to God. I think the coverages were mainly fine. There was communication issues on the back end all over the place, which also comes down to coaching, but it's something we didn't see last year. Last year, that back end, that, that safety, you have three guys back there that passing off those match coverages, man, they're working on a string. You could see that stuff working as soon as those routes start developing, fall off, pick up, fall underneath. Like you had all the moving pieces. If you want some of the 2021 Packers defense and just watch that back end, it's some beautiful stuff out there, man. Like, and that stuff has not been present this year. It's gotten better, but you'll see like so many times, like if I was an offensive quarter now, I would just say, just run crossers, man. Just play action and run a crosser because all, everything that's happening is you run a crosser. The boundary guy kind of looks halfway lost. He passes off, and then he passes off to no one because communications they're really struggling with on that back end there. So that's that's my issue so far, which does come down to coaching. But it's weird because it is it's a lot of the same guys, but some of those guys were injured last year and didn't play. So I don't know how much of that to put down to coaching when we saw it work a lot better last year in terms of that aspect of the game. Or if it's the players, but it's, I mean, they're they're still struggling. We saw that multiple times against the Patriots last week as well. Just these crossers and Bailey Zappi with his little pop gun arm is floating these suckers like 15 yards down the field, and no one's within 20 yards of the guy. So that's that's an issue that concerns me is just some of that the back end communication right now. Deep horizontal crossers are something that the Giants run. They'll also run mesh, which is typically more man, but if it's zone, they'll just sit in the soft spots. Another play design that I think the Giants will run if they're in the red zone and they want to pass the football against a match type of coverage, they're going to run post wheel. They're going to they're going to run that number one receiver as a deep post. They're going to drag that cornerback. Like I think that will be open. That's they've really struggled with that. So if they run that and be like, oh, how come they missed that guy? And then you'll see the coverage and this guy's pointing at each other while the boundary's completely open. They'll they'll score off of that for sure, I think. If, if that's the case, if that's something that you guys struggle with, I, I can imagine Caskill's going to go that well because it's something we've seen once or twice. Maybe I think maybe four times this season and then twice against Carolina. But Dusty, man, this was great. Do you have any other questions for me, man? This was an excellent conversation. It's already been over an hour. I apologize if I kept you long. No, man. No, I'm good. I think, you know, the defensive side, I, I tend to stay more on the offensive side of the ball as far as what the Packers are going to do. So it's very curious about the, about the, the Wink Martindale of it all, but no, man. I mean, this was, I think the, the stuff with Daniel Jones, some, I mean, some of that RPO stuff. I mean, that's just like, that's triple option, quadruple option nonsense. And some of the sounds of it that I just absolutely love. I mean, that's the thing is from what I've seen from the giants and, and Dable and Kafka, like it's a deliberate offense. They know what they're doing. And more than, I mean, you, you mentioned earlier something about gimmicky. You don't think it's gimmicky. I don't see a gimmicky at all. Like you, the guys you have, and right now they've got some some weird pieces there. You use them to the best of their ability, and I feel like they're doing a really good job with that. So I'm, I'm, I don't, I don't think I have any questions. I'm excited to watch. I'm excited to get up, have a cup of coffee, watch the game, and I mean, I, I during the game I'm going to yell and scream, but ultimately I like watching. I, I, 
as I said at the top, I love watching terrible football, but like, I love watching like a beautifully designed offense. So, so, uh, so on Monday, whatever happens to the game, I'm going to be looking at that giants offense too and going, all right, what's some cool stuff they did. Cause they, they, they do seem like they're, they're kind of building some over there that I'm excited about. Yeah. This coaching staff squeezes the most out of the players that they have. And that's something that I respect. And also, I don't think I said this before, maybe expect some cover six too. That's what Wink yeah. Martindale ran a lot against Aaron Rodgers last year. And it's also something the giants have run. I think at like 6% of the time, I do expect a little bit more presence in the deeper parts of the field. So maybe that's something that Martindale might dip back into, but dusty, please promote anything you need to promote. Where can people find you? What's the podcast that you're on? Go ahead. Floor is yours. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I won't shut up about it on Twitter. If you follow me, I'm over at dusty evilly on Twitter and I'll just kind of post everywhere. So I do weekly stuff for cheese TV where I kind of break down, uh, it's a Wednesday after the game and kind of looking at the different how the Packers do passing offense, look at some general stuff, break down three or four plays over on Packer report. I do one or two plays a week, one on the defense, one on the offensive side of the ball. What happened, what they do, all of that stuff. I've been told on that site to go as nerdy as I want to. So sometimes I'll break out pages from like the 84 Niners playbook and like, here is the here is the genesis of this. And here's all these clips. So uh, that gets real weird sometimes, which I love. And then um yeah, Pack a Day podcast on Wednesdays uh, with the, with uh, Sarah and Steve over there. And I've got a, a Substack that I write on, just dustyevely.substack.com. That's just kind of I post on a whim. I've been tracking the Packers RPO usage all year. Uh, so I've been doing that. And then I kind of, if anything else strikes my fancy, I've been trying to cover more stuff around the league. So top eight to nine red zone concepts I saw the previous week. I'll throw that up there. But yeah, it's too much, man. I'm tired all the time. Um, but yeah, if you follow me on Twitter, I'll I, again, I will not shut up about it there and you'll find everything I do there. Top eight to nine red zone concepts has to be triple Y set bootleg Daniel Jones around two touchdowns, 21 <laughs> yards, eight yards, no defense from the Chicago Bears. I know you love that as somebody who covers the Green Bay Packers. Beautiful. It's beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Thank you everybody for tuning in to the Big Blue Banter podcast you guys know where to find us please head on over to youtube big blue banter our instagram ny big blue banter all the good stuff dan usually does these outros so i'm just winging it right now take care everybody have a lovely day It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com